Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. How are you all? You good? Yeah? That's good. A couple people right here. Gonna, gonna need a little more out of you. I, I, I grew up in traditions where we talk back a little bit, but I also grew up in traditions where we honored uh, people. And, and we weren't afraid to step out and do that. And some people would say, man, that's just too much, you know. But I, I want to take a second, and I want to honor our pastor and his wife. They celebrated 14 years of marriage this week. Yep. So the labor of love to the beach with the family also was um, consumed up in an anniversary. And we bless you guys, and thank you for your leadership, and, and, and we love you. So... We are uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. It's, it's the continuation of this great series that we've been uh, embarked on, have been embarked on. We're, we're at sea. We are, we are in Ephesians chapter 4 today, and, and Paul does something pretty incredible here. He, he, he turns the tables on the story. And before we get into that, I just I, I want to say that, that Paul loved the Ephesian church. You can reference it in Acts chapter 20. He stops in and, and, and he calls the Ephesian elders to come meet with him, knowing that this was probably going to be the last time he sees them. So what he is, what he's about to write, the stuff that we're about to, to walk into and navigate in chapters 4, 5, and 6, you can see that Paul himself walked this stuff out to the Ephesian people to the church of Ephesus. This is the stuff that he's about to tell us over the course of the next several weeks. And the next three chapters are things that he lived. You can read it in Ephesians chapter 20 and the way he talked to them. And, and he didn't just love them, they loved him. It said when, when they realized this would probably be the last time that they saw him, they, they knelt down, they prayed and they cried and they, and they clung to his neck and they kissed him. And then they walked with him to his ship when he parted ways. I think that Paul loved the Ephesian church. I think that it's one of those human things where we're not supposed to love something more than something else, you know, in the way of like people. But I think he really loved the Ephesian church. And I think they really, really, really loved him. And so we have testimony of his life and his words from Acts chapter 20 of what we're about to embark on today. Amen. Amen. All right. So Ephesians chapter four, I'm just going to read one through six here. I, therefore... The prisoner of the Lord. Paul using this word prisoner again like he did in chapter 3. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, all the while being a, a, a prisoner to Rome. But he's saying, no, 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 no. That, that is all hogwash. That's just part of being a vapor on earth. I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I beseech you. means I, I am asking you to walk alongside me. Get shoulder to shoulder with me as I've done this. I am... I am urging you, I'm beseeching you, get side by side. Let's walk this thing out together. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. See, over the course of the last several weeks, we've navigated this story by taking a look at really the one theme of the first three chapters. And this is everything that God has done in us and for us, lifting us, to, us up to heavenly places. And then the next three chapters of the book of Ephesians said, okay, what do we do? How do we act? How do we walk? Knowing that we're in heavenly places and not to be haughty about that, but how do we, how do we walk out the Christian life? Of course, Ephesus is a pagan town. It, it worships the pagan goddess Diana really a sex goddess. And uh, trinkets of, of her were sold all over the world at that time and, and supported that ministry and also prostitution. And Paul had a moment one time in Ephesus where he, he walked around and he navigated the culture and then he began just to preach Jesus and nothing against Diana, but just preaching Jesus, the one true God. And he, and he almost died in a near riot. And so this place is kind of all over him as he is, as he is writing this. So as we transition to the second half of the, uh, of the book, we have to look really hard at how much Paul loved them and how he walked out these very words before them. So I want to look at this word walk. He says, walk out this calling. There is... Now, let's back it up. Let's back it up and look at the word worthy here. We'll back it up. He says, walk worthy. Worthy is the word axios, and it, it means walk deserving, deserving, walk deserving. This is not a call to simply walk sinless, although the goal is always to try to be as sinless as possible. But, but this walk is a little bit different. This walk is bigger than that. It's to, to walk in all the attributes that we learned before. As Pastor Steve said, it's the prodigious Papa's love and his grace and his compassion that he has directed at you and I, and we should walk in that. We walk worthy of that. You walk in everything the Lord has given you and put upon you in your salvation, in being brought into the family of God. You walk into that. Luther said it like this. He said, he, he, he said, when something comes at you, when the enemy pokes and prods you, when he comes near, and of course I'm paraphrasing, he said, you stand up and you be bold and you say, I am a Christian and this is off limits. And I believe wholeheartedly because I've been doing this for a while and talking to people over the years that when uh, strange things come our way, when, when disaster strikes out of nowhere, when when goofiness happens or we're up against the wall, we use the excuse that the devil is beating us up instead of standing up and saying, no, I am a Christian. I am part of the family of God. I am, I am chosen. I, I, I've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus was shed for me. And there is something that is powerful and mighty about that. The spirit of God is in me, is upon me. And I can walk in the promise uh, that I don't have to live in despair and distraught. I can live in heavenly places where God has placed me. The next word is calling, and it's klesis, a calling, a call, an invitation to a feast. When you start breaking this word down, God is, has literally called you and I 
to sit at a table. It's like he picked up the phone or, or, or sent you, you know, a little text message or hit you up on the Instagram and said, come over for a feast. I have called you to something way more active. I am, I am calling you in. I, I want to dine with you. It's a divine invitation to embrace the salvation of God. This is the primary purpose of the word calling in this scripture that we're reading today. Now, we know this, and, and, I, and I need to fundamentally kind of break this down. Your call, first and foremost, is the Holy Spirit calling you to Jesus. Not one of us came to Jesus without the Holy Spirit beginning to draw and to convict our lives. John 16, 8 through 9. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Jesus is saying this about the Holy Spirit. And the righteousness and the judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. See, you make your calling sure by putting not just your trust, but your faith, your hope, your future into the hands of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit seats you in these places and he stamps it and he seals it. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Pastor Ian talked about this early on. In him, you also trusted. After you, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. See, the, the, the seal, it, it starts in the Old Testament, but it, it comes from kings and governors and, and mayors, if you will. But it's just like having a notary, going to a notary and then putting a stamp of approval on something. It's a seal that says that, um, you know, maybe this is uh, secure or it shows ownership or authenticity or authority, which all four of those things in Daniel 6, Matthew 27, Jeremiah 32, uh, 1 Kings 21 uh, and Esther 8, all four of those things show up. This means that the Holy Spirit comes on and he puts a stamp of approval. He puts a, he puts a seal on you. It's automatic. And he shows ownership and security and authenticity and authority in your life. This means that you have been invited somewhere and somebody has a hold of you. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never let them go. Nobody can rip us out of the hands of God once we're in there. That is, we are stamped and we are sealed and the Holy Spirit is upon us in our calling. Now, walking worthy of the calling in the flow of thought of the entire passage and then on into, you know, chapters five and six, it, it, it actually, calling comes upon us in a different way where it said, okay, You've walked in the call that you were called. We are Christian. We ought to act worthy of that. And, we, and we'll, we'll dive in on how to do that in a minute. But, but even more, what are you supposed to do with this? And this is the part that is so practical, it actually hurts. But the thing that holds most of us back from actually engaging in the, in the relationship in the family of God in our local communities we have all been created for this moment to step into some sort of type of ministry and ministering out. 
We have all been created for this moment, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should also walk in them. When we see God working beforehand, you have to go to the very, very, very beginning of known time. And in your head, if you are a follower of Jesus, you go to the creation story and, and, and how the spirit of God hovered the earth. So you have to get before that and understand that that's beforehand and that's where God started doing things for creation and seeing creation and knowing that you would be part of it. In fact, even knowing beforehand that you would be in this moment. And then somebody just elbowed the person next to you and said, I told you it's one of those kind of church. No, listen, we're not saying that God just go ahead and predestined all these little things here and there. You have a choice to walk in them or else Paul wouldn't have said, now walk. It's both and. Okay, so I'm not going to solve the 25-year-old argument right now. We'll, we'll finish that one. Pastor Ian's up next week. He'll, he'll figure that one out. Did I say 25 or 2,500? 2, well, for me, I've been arguing it for 25 years, so it was a true statement. <laughs> your calling into the family of God doesn't stop with your salvation. And unfortunately, for most followers of Jesus, they get saved and stop. It's like, okay, now I get to go to heaven. And that's great. The only problem is Jesus is Lord. So when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, you, you start working, walking worthy of a calling. It's a little bit bigger. There comes a sense of duty because the gospel has changed you and changed your life. A changed life is inclined to action. James says it like this, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then he goes on in verses 125. He said, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, there's a blessing that comes in getting to work. And it's not this blessing where God sits on the throne and says, now they're doing it. Like, okay, let me pay it out. It's more like when he was beforehand and he was spinning the world into orbit and he was doing all of that, he, he designed the creation and the work story and the salvation story. He did it all in this moment. And he said, the world that I created involves blessing when people get doing. It's engaging in something that's way bigger than ourselves that, that is where the blessing comes from. Now God can be, yeah, I'll bless I'll bless the work, I'll bless the work, and I'll take care of this. But our natural thinking of what blessing looks like is not what it looks like in the kingdom of God. It's way more vast and it's way different. That's why when you, when you stepped into things that looked like a really great opportunity or maybe something good to get involved in uh, in life somewhere, you go, it just didn't fulfill me. That's part of the blessing of God because when you walk into the will of God, doing the things that he created you to do, uh, the, that blessing, that, that fulfillment of heart comes in. The hole in the heart gets full. It's a, it's a, it's a different way to think about it, but we're not taught that, not in our culture. See, we are doers, we're speakers, we're implementers, we're livers and givers of the word to one another. It starts in the house of God. There is literally something for you and I to do on earth given to us by God. And it's only for you to do. 
That's the good time to take a sip. You finish the sentence. I honor them and beat you up. Let's be honest. Any Christian that has gotten saved just to go to heaven, you're believing only half of what it's all about because it's not about just going to heaven. And I want to be super clear about something. Works and doing things in the kingdom It cannot buy the love of God, and it can't buy your salvation. Now, I have to say that again. I have to say it again because statistics as of 2020 have stated that there are, and this is mainline denominations across the board. And, of course, we're kind of non-denominational, so it doesn't count for us, but it might. Somebody might have snuck in today. Over 40% of the people that sit in churches today believe in a faith-based salvation. Excuse me, a works-based salvation. Even less believe in faith in Jesus is the only way to get there. There's all kinds of things that are different in the statistic. 40% of the people who sit in churches believe that the way to get to heaven is by works. And I am telling you right now that it doesn't matter how many kids you teach how many cars you park, how many ushered you ushered, how many pieces of bacon you fried on Father's Day. That's not what does it. And also, it's not how you earn love of God. It's not how we get the love. You can't get God to love you anymore. You can't watch enough kids. You can't fry enough bacon. You can't pass out enough donuts. You can't lead enough Bible studies and home groups. He loves you more than you can even possibly know. More than that, when you are saved, don't minimize the salvation and the work of the cross. Listen, the only way that we come to Jesus is what Pastor Ian said just a little bit ago. It is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection and his lordship. It's believing in those things and it is following him that is our salvation story. That's it. It's too simple to be true for a God that's put things and organized things even beforehand for him to say, hey, you say yes. He loves the sinner. He loves the saint. He saves both. And it's one time for all time. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. What we do, what we do is we work because we've been brought into a family we step into a calling because, because we've been brought into a family. And it's for the family to be nurtured, to be discipled, to be mentored, to grow. We grow the family through our unity in our work. This is why we teach kids. This is why we hand out donuts. This is why we fry bacon and park cars and run buses and do home groups. Because it builds the church. And in our unity, people see it. And they're attracted to it. And then when we practice it well here, it overflows outside of here. This is why we serve the orphan and the widow. This is why we engage in Washington, D.C. So that we can, we, can, we can tell this story to elected officials who have a real opportunity to write policy that, could, that really could shape and change a nation. This is why we put toilets in Africa. It's an overflow 
We put toilets in schools in Africa so, so kids who are learning the gospel can have the benefit and the respectability of, of, of using a toilet. Drinking good water. It's, it's the church who backs off of this stuff, and then the rest of it goes to hell in a handbasket. And people go, why? Well, you really need to get into a good church. Where are they? Let's get busy. So in that, I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to pinch the back of arms because I don't get a very much opportunity to come up here. So you ever been pinched? Right, that hurts. Somebody needs to hear this because God's been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time. Somebody in this room needs to be saved. You need to come to Jesus, but somebody else in this room has been saved for a long time and you live vicariously through other people's experiences in the church. And God didn't build you for that. He built you for something greater than that. After about 12 years in ministry and, and planting two churches, and I had to have a real job, you know, because planting churches all the time doesn't always pay the bills. So I had a real job and I was working for this company and they actually moved my wife and I in 2011 to the Nashville area. And so when I, at that point, we believed it was going to be ministry in, in, the, in the music world. We believed God was moving us here. And quite honestly, we saw his hand in that and the continuation of that over the years. But after planting two churches and going through that and making pretty decent money and being moved to this place, I, I released that to my wife so she could run in the lane that she was, you know, that, that God, I believe, was putting on her. And I stepped back from church ministry, the, the ministry version that I know that God had called me to when I answered his call to follow him. And I sat in the back row of a church for the next two or three years and the whole time, Pastor Steve was preaching these messages like, had me thinking about eternity and people in eternity and what my eternity looks like. Not that I wasn't saved, I was saved. I know what my eternity looked like from a heavenly standpoint, but what was I doing that had eternal good and eternal purpose? And, I, and as I sat there and to an effect being restored, it began to, to get all over me that I am not doing anything to impact eternity or to bring anybody with me. And so the course of the next several years, I, I'm back in church ministry, back doing what I wanted to do or what God had called me to do when I was in sixth grade. Loving people discipling, mentoring, bringing them up. And then when the next transition came, I knew, I knew that I could not stop. Somebody said, how do you keep on going through the transition? I said, you know what? I've done that before. And here's the deal. I am called. We're all called. I am not taking a time out again. God has planted this and sealed this on my heart to do. So I am going to roll in it. I, I am here to tell you right now that I have been on the side of sitting back and doing just little or nothing. And, and I pray today that, that God would begin moving upon your heart to get involved, whether it's in your community, in this local church, whatever he's asking you, what are you good at? Go do that and bring Jesus with you. Start there and watch how God shows up and changes everything. You say, all right, Shane, 
I get it, but how do we, you know, then go about it? Well, it starts with a posture and a maturity of how we treat one another. Ephesians 2, or 4, 2 through 3, with lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Familiar sentiments of Paul from Paul, like we've heard this kind of stuff from him before, lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. 2 Timothy 3, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love and perseverance. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the familiar fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, there is, against these things there is no law. And then, of course, the very nature of God in Exodus 34. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and bounding in goodness and truth. The things that God wants us to put on that he is willing to give us come from him and he has them in his nature and he's saying, you are in my family, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter and these things that I have, I am putting on you and I am seating you in heavenly places. Now that I've given you life, go give life. It's plain and simple. It's in black and white on my iPad. It stands out like a sore thumb. It cannot be lost on us that when Scripture uses the same language over and over and over again that we should grab a hold of it. So those four virtues, uh, they, they, they are things that we need to put on, and now I'm moving fast because we got to take communion together. We'll start with lowliness. This really means humility. Humility in Paul's day was not a word that was being used in Latin or Greek. It was something Christians used. It's a uniquely Christian word. And Christians need to understand that our version of humility doesn't look like their version of humility. It's different. It's godly. So God, how do I get it? I need you to rest humility on me. I need to be lowly. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's the first beatitude. And it's a, and it's a characteristic of, grace, of, of the grace of Christ in Philippians 2. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The next one is, is gentleness. Paul said, you got to put on some gentleness Humility breeds gentleness, and this means, you know, meekness, gentleness and meekness. And I, I know there's a lot of guys in the room that go, I don't want to be meek because that's weak. Well, that's not what it means. Don't be weak, be meek. This is a bold man that will stand up and be gentle, teach, disciple, raise up. This is what is produced from a humble heart that really means self-control. You are a person with self-control. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Long-suffering, the literal translation is to be long-tempered. So now you got self-control and long-tempered. And each one of these gives birth to the next thing. It's a byproduct of being full of humility and gentleness. 1 Thessalonians 5, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. 
And the final one is love. And this is the one that we miss because every church has people in it and we're mean. And we're mean to each other sometimes. We won't, we won't serve somewhere because somebody I had a tiff with five years ago or 10 years ago serving in there. That's hogwash. That's not gonna work in, the, in, your, in your condo or your mansion in heaven. Like they could be your neighbor and God would sit back and watch this. You wanna see what lowliness and meekness looks like? This is the agape love that Paul's talking about. This is agape. This is an all-encompassing love. This is something that sees through everything and around everything. It probably would be better if this word was just said love anyway. That's the best way. Just do it anyway. That's the best way that I think I can define it. You see it, you love. You bring people through it. You walk shoulder to shoulder with people. John 13, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you have love for one another. Jesus has called us to a higher place in how we treat one another. And I think we ought to get that on us. So as he, he wraps this up, he implores us to endeavor to work, to labor, to keep the spirit of, and bond of peace amongst us. So we love and, and, and then bring in peace, be peaceful. And then in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, he said, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. Verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through you all. Beloved, there is one body we are tied to a movement of believers that dates back 2,500 years. We are joined with believers all over the world. And right now, we are joined with them in this town and beyond. There is one spirit, one bonding agent at work that has sealed salvation to people all over. There is one Lord. There is no name above his name, and that name is Jesus. There is one faith that which is the word of truth given to us by God in Jesus, one time for all time. There is one baptism, a declaration of our acceptance to the call, to a world that does not know him, does not trust him, and desperately needs a church that would love one another so that everyone would know that we are called by him. One God and one Father of all. Everything wrapped up into the eternal arms of love. God the Father. Beloved, we are left with no choice as we walk through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. There are things to do. There are ways to respond. There are ways to act. And I promise you, I promise you if, you, if you press into this, your life will change, your homes will change, your workspace will change, your outcomes will change. Why? Because you are taking the promises of God and you are putting them on yourself. See, everybody has an okay opinion of Ephesians 1 through 3 when it tells you how great you are and how much God's given you and put you into heavenly places. But when he starts talking about submission to one another and the fear of the Lord, people are like, I don't, I don't need that. That doesn't work. Let it get in you. Let it get on you and watch how God changes this city, how God changes this body. 
Amen? So the Apostle Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, and he actually was dealing with this issue of unity to a degree. And he said, you got it all wrong when you come together and how you're, you're breaking the bread. We are not just in unity for unity's sake. We're in unity because we share one blood. Because our calling's higher. And he said this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he thanked God for it, he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. This do as often as you would drink it in remembrance of me. You see, we chose to do communion after the message today, because in unity, in communion, in fellowship, individually and with our God, it's a great way to respond to what the Apostle Paul gave us today. So right now in your own place, in your own heart, as the, as the servers make ready and the ushers make ready and come down the aisles to release you to come up to receive the elements if you need to straighten some things out, will God do that? But more than that, maybe a prayer needs to go to the throne today that just said, God, I'm ready. Do something with me. So God, we love you and thank you. We honor you and give you praise. We, we thank you for the Lord's Supper where we can remember the work of Jesus, where we can remember his life and how he's called us to something greater. But most importantly, the salvation that has come and the family that we have been born into. For this is what it means to be born again. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.